This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Greetings, Andrew. Monica, are you ready to talk lions, tigers, and bears? Oh my. Specifically tigers. Specifically religion. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is part two of episode number 27 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Life of Pi. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you listening to this one. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or especially after you've seen the movie. Again, this is part two, we're going to talk spoilers, so if you don't want to be spoiled, Stop listening now and uh, don't complain, basically. All right, before we really start to analyze Life of Pi, here's another clip. No! What the fuck are you thinking? Are you out of your mind? Who gave you the permission to come back here? I just wanted to say hello to him. You think that tiger is your friend? He's an animal, not a playmate. Animals have souls. I have seen it in their eyes. Okay, Monica, let's talk Life of Pi. I have a feeling the ending is going to be the inspiration for most of our discussion. So is there anything other than the ending that you really want to talk about before we dive into that? That last 10 minutes. I mean, let's just dive into the last 10 minutes. Why not? We'll backtrack. Because that's the whole movie's a flashback anyways. We'll, we'll keep thematically. Okay, okay. That. that <laughs> I know in part one, you, had, you mentioned that you wrote an article for Bitch Magazine about the white man's framing device. Yes. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, the thing that I – it didn't strike me as so bad. The movie that I used for comparison was probably a little rough as an example, but it's The Help, basically, because it was oh, just – Oh, wow. Well, it was just last year, guys, and fortunately this one, he's just telling him the story so he can write about it. Again, so this is a guy who's just carrying around this really awesome story but has to tell – and it happens to be a white, I mean, the white guy. The guy is more or less a stand-in for the author, Jan Markell. And the good, nice, big difference is that the help had the author, the Skeeter, Emma Stone's character, actually go in and more or less start this civil rights thing going on in the story. But this one is just the guy gets told the story. It was just kind of a, a awkward, like, reason for, like, Forrest Gump sort of ordeal that we just had to everything had to be explained to us because like oh yeah yeah just the guy can't see what we're seeing so he has to be told and then we're we're shown 
and then it's again we're told and we're shown and then oh we'll have these beautiful visually stunning masterpieces out in the middle of the ocean and then we'll cut back to the people's living room where they're having this conversation and having a meal and then they randomly go out at one more time I have to say, I think you're overreacting a little bit. I really wasn't bothered by the framing device at all. This is not a case, in my opinion, of something like The Blind Side or The Help, in which you've got white people basically being shown as the instruments for... I said that they were the catalyst of the story. Like, if she hadn't written that book, stuff wouldn't have gone down. Right. This isn't a case where the white people are responsible for helping minorities gain rights or gain acceptance yeah. or, or anything. It was more It was more about the fact that these people had to tell their story to someone else in order for the story to get out. So this was m- the start of that, I guess, where he had to tell his story for the reporter to write the story and get it out. Because otherwise, he was just keeping it to himself, and like apparently, you know. I mean, do you feel is I don't I don't I personally don't think that's a problem. I felt like this was a story that Pi, as an adult, had that he was happy to share if people asked about, but that he wasn't going he wasn't going to proselytize. Let's no, that no, way. yeah, yeah. So here's this writer that just comes looking for a good story, and this is what he gets. I, I I didn't have much of a problem with that framing device. And to some extent, I think that that is a bit more appropriate for the film. I feel like it would be weird if Pa, if this was just told entirely from Pi's point of view, and we just had a voiceover saying, hey, audience, this is the story that's going to make you believe in God. I feel like that would just be You know what? I would totally drop that this was the story that was going to make you believe in God. Because, again, when you put up that sort of expectations, and then you get to the end of the story, and it's like, well, no, I don't believe in God. I believe in CGI effects. Well, it's interesting because Pi actually never says to the reporter, this will make you believe in God. The reporter says, you know, I heard from your uncle or whatever. He said that you have a story that will make me believe in god i could do without the hype i think the fact that pi isn't going around saying hey i've got this incredible story that's gonna change how you view everything i like it how he's just sort of like yeah this is my story and you can take from it what you will yeah so i didn't have as much of of an issue with that framing device i think if that device wasn't there it might feel even more heavy-handed than some people say the film already is i mean maybe people already say that just because it deals with a topic as difficult as religion already on top of you know the whole fact of tragedy and loss and having to learn to let things go and just you know friendship with the tiger is hard yo okay well let's talk about this big reveal at the end basically in the last 10 minutes pi has told this incredible story of how he survived on a lifeboat with this tiger for for months and months and then at the end he reveals that maybe that's not actually what happened he says that when he was rescued and people found him and and wanted to get the official facts on Mm -hmm. the story he told them the story about the tiger and then they said well we can't put that in our official report Mm -hmm. Um, it actually it was the the shipping company yeah yeah said that that's not believable so they said okay what really happened and then he said well i told them that actually the cook a sailor and my mother and i managed to make it onto the lifeboat and then the cook 
killed the sailor and my mother, and I murdered the cook. And that's a bit darker, bit more gruesome, bit more tragic. So the shipping company ultimately decides to put down the story about him and the tiger as what really happened in the official report. And that's basically what he tells this this writer, this reporter, is he's just like, you know what, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Which which story do you prefer? How did you interpret that ending? Because I think there's different ways you can read it and, and how it relates to religion. Okay, so I guess, yes, to how it relates to religion, but also just how we relate to stories in general, especially some that are rooted in fantasy and magic and things that, you know, are un believable to us i'll go first and then you go so i kind of took it as every time you buy into a story like every time you really feel an emotional attachment or any sort of like believable feeling for a story i think it's almost like an act of faith that you put your emotions it gets tied into the story you feel bad for him you feel bad for richard parker when stuff is starting to go you know south you really are rooting for these guys to survive and at the end confronted with the fact that well this may not all be real but it felt real to you so why does that erase that so ultimately would you say it's it's basically implying that if religion makes you feel good and that's the version of, of, that's the worldview that you prefer, that it's okay to believe that even if it's not the truth? Is that what you think the film is saying? See, I wasn't going the religion route. I was just going the straight-up story route. Okay, okay. I mean, it probably could, but that's not what I took away with it. I know a lot of people have criticized the film and the book because it sort of implies that actually the more tragic version in which uh, Pi's mother was murdered by the cook that that actually is what happened mm. and that that is real that's secularism the, <laughs> i mean as as the writer points out you know the whole story the whole story about the tiger and the animals there's a direct there's direct uh, symbolism placed on top of everything where mm -hmm. the orangutan is his mother the zebra is the cook and the tiger is actually pie himself or that dark side of him that comes out and murders this guy in revenge. So in that sense, you could read the story, the, the, the whole film is just a story about a man alone wrestling with himself and his own sins. Mm -hmm. I think some people will dislike the film because I think the film more so than the book implies that this is actually what happened, but because that's uncomfortable and because that's sad and tragic, we're going to choose to believe this other, more fantastic, inspirational story, Wait. and that's okay. So therefore, if, if, if religion is a version of the story that feels better to you, it's okay to believe that, even if it's not the factual truth. Pause. You're saying the film pointed towards the more tragic version? I think the film... and the, and. My opinion, when I saw the film, I got the impression that what actually happened was that the cook murdered his mother. Yeah. But that that's not what he wants to to think about. That's not what he wants to believe. And that's what us as the audience in general, we don't we want to deny those facts. So the film is kind of implying that it's okay that if we believe this more fantastic version. So in that sense, I think the film is sort of implying in regards to religion that... Religion, it, it, it's not factually true. It's not true. 
but because it makes us feel better, it's okay to believe that. And this this a cynical side of me that wants to say that that is not I don't I'm not necessarily sure that's a good attitude to have <laughs> towards religion and Because I didn't get that at all because they only asked him for what really happened after he tells him this great, fantastic story. And then he tells right. him this really De- Debbie Downer story. And I almost felt like he just made it up. Like if, if this was, if he made the fantastic believable by giving the animals like human names or like human, they were humans in the story. Um, would that make it any more believable? If this was something that actually if, in the sense of just storytelling, if I was telling you that this happened to a friend of mine and this crazy, like, whacked out crazy story actually happened to a friend of mine, would you believe it more than if you saw it in a movie and be like, eh, it's Hollywood, where you can dismiss it? Possibly. I, I think in the book it was a lot more ambiguous about okay. what actually happened. And from what I remember, it's been years since I read the book, but I remember getting to the end of the book and kind of feeling like, wow, I actually have no idea what really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's the point Jan Martel is trying to, to make, that maybe when it comes to religious, spiritual, quote-unquote, truth about what it all means and, and stuff, that maybe in that sense there's no way to know what really happened, and so it's okay to believe what you want to believe. I, unfortunately, came away feeling that the film more strongly implied that the second version of the story was actually true. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if that's the fault of the filmmaker. I don't know if that is just me and how I uh, Maybe read it. you just have a really dark personality, Andrew. Under maybe. that bubbly, maybe. huggable persona, you're actually a really dark person. So, so you're telling me that you... Which version of the story did you feel like the film was saying that you should believe? We just spent two hours watching him in a boat with a tiger. Right, right, right. So I'm a little more inclined to believe the fantastic story like laid out in front of me, even though it's so much more unbelievable. Yeah, I kind of bought it a little bit more because I was visually able to see it. They didn't allow the second version of the story. They didn't actually put the characters in the boat and stuff like that. So that, to me, almost seemed like, whoa, that's a really dark turn. I don't know if this is actually real now, if it's, he's just making it up for these guys. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So you felt like that reveal at the ending that there was actually another version of the story, you didn't feel like that undermined the past two hours? No, I felt like he was just tailoring it for the people, for the insurance people. So you didn't feel like for the past two hours he's just been an unreliable narrator? No. Okay, that's that's interesting <laughs> that we had compl- completely also, different takes. Also, I it. didn't, I had never read the book before, so I just went completely la 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 into it, and then that's the that was just the vibe that I bought. I will say, I think that the fact that we came away from the film with two different interpretations, I think that's interesting, and I think maybe that just shows that the point of the story was just to show that there are different versions of the quote unquote truth. Mm, could be. So maybe all religions are just different versions of that truth, mm-hmm. and all are equal. Um, and it's kind of this very universalist, Unitarian philosophy. Well, you don't have to bring out the UUs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's fine. I have no problem if that's what no, Martell so- is trying to say. I think I think what's I think what some people may have a problem with is that 
Pi, as the storyteller, is in many ways like God. So he knows the truth. Almost any storyteller, I guess, has that power. Right. So Pi is in many ways like God. Pi knows the truth. He's just not revealing it. So is Pi kind of a dick for not saying what really happened? I feel like that's that's one way in which this film or this story is different from real life. And that if you're going to talk about religion and what it all means and what really happened. But there's no answer. That's the thing. Right. We're not God. God's not standing here in front of us saying this is what happened. Whereas Pi actually is telling this guy this is what happened. So he knows the truth. He's just not revealing it. Okay, so what what if play with me now what if pi was sort of like a messenger or a sort of not necessarily a prophet but someone to kind of just bring about that he does he doesn't particularly pay god because he doesn't give this well my thing is that he doesn't give a straight answer he's supposed to lead you to a sort of conclusion and you're supposed to make that choice for yourself but i think the difference is that it is implied that pi knows the answer because he lived it So Pi Pi could tell this guy what really happened if he wanted to. I just want to play devil advocate so bad. But like Jesus knew the answer. He knew what was coming up. He's just still, he's giving out the teachings the way that he does. So here's the thing. This miraculous story that Pi tells about the tiger, it's possible that that is actually the truth. And that is what happened. And yet these people at the shipping company are skeptics and they don't want to believe it so so they ask for the what really happened quote unquote so there's that idea of is religion just a fabrication or are, are these stories about gods and how people relate to god in the universe are these total myths and fabrications or are those actually part of the truth and we're just in denial and saying no 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 that can't be what happened tell us the facts I think there's also something to be said about the fact that in the end, the shipping company just kind of like, well, whatever the story is, it doesn't help us figure out what sunk the ship in the first place. So I believe there's a shot of their report. Yeah, in the film. And yeah, and, and it's and it says this it mentions the tiger. So it's, I think in their official report, they actually went with the story about the tiger. And that's the one. they. Prefer. No, they mentioned they mentioned that it had like the only two survivors were Pi and the tiger. So they chose right. the tiger, but it didn't say that the ship sunk because of the tiger. That they went with the version of the story that involves a tiger. Yeah. And not the cook and Pi yeah. murdering him and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of interesting. Well, what I read, because I, I did a little reading about, like, about the book, because I now was really curious about the two comparisons, and what I had read was that, that they, eventually they, they came to the conclusion that either story, whether it was pie and the humans or pie and the tiger, it had no bearings on what they, because they're insurance people, they were, they were trying right. to figure out wh- how the ship sank, and pie couldn't answer that for them. So then they still left with their main question unanswered. Let that be an allegory for life. <laughs> right. how, did it, how did it all begin? Oh, we don't really know. We don't really <laughs> how know. How it all began. Wait, it's a Big Bang. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Bang sunk Pi's ship. I think we figured it out. Oh, damn. Won't the Titanic be pissed? Yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, I will say one thing that did make me question 
po- the the version of events that has the tiger and the version of events that were shown for two hours, essentially. Is, this is a mysterious there's that, island. There's that. The, the, there's the mysterious island, and it's it's not just the mysterious island. The mysterious island is in the book. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And the idea that there's this carnivorous island, it's that's that's taking things pretty far over the top. But for the sake of this argument, I'll I'll suspend my disbelief and I'll go with it. There's a sh- single shot in the film, which kind of made me go, wait a minute. Now you've taken, and now I really can't believe this. And it's a shot of the island from the waterline, and the shape of the island and the tree line looks like a man. Yeah. Lying on his back. Yep. And I was just kind of like, oh no. Okay, now I really can't okay. believe this. That's a bit too much of a, of a coincidence. So that's another reason why I think I came away from the film feeling like it was implying that the version in which, uh, the cook kills his mother and everything that that is actually what happened because that one shot on the island was just so over the top i was like that can't that can't be a fact that can't you'll believe a mysterious floating island full of meerkats that sleep in trees and not the ground that is uh pretty unbelievable but for the sake of argument i'll go with that until the shot of where it looks like a man we have a magical island here that's carnivorous of all things. Yeah. And it just, I, because it doesn't say the shape in the book, right? I don't believe it says the shape in the book. If it does, I, I, I I'm just going to chalk it. it up to art direction on that one. Okay. Um, I'll just throw it out there that when the sun sets, it's not actually a pastel color prettiness thing like it is. And then, no, also the sea is never that still. That's pretty much only happens on a lake. And that big body of water, it's absolutely still, and you're perfectly mirrored, reflected. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, it, no, it's beautiful. I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen, unless you're like in some weird Bermuda Triangle thing. So in your opinion, does the way Ang Lee chose to direct the film with all these fantastic colors and just beautiful, this, this incredible aesthetic, does that imply that this is actually a heightened reality, that this isn't real, that this is just a story, that this is just a quote-unquote version. Is, 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 is I the guess truth? my suspense of belief is really, really high. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Or, like, you know, after so many days of hunger, <laughs> not enough water, you might start hallucinating a little bit. Things might get a little sharper. <laughs> Did you see the film in 3D? I did not. I saw it in 2D. Okay. There's there's a scene involving flying fish. Yes. In which I, I saw it in 3D, and the aspect ratio for a second changed oh. during that scene. And it, it well, it's okay. It's not, it's actually, it's not that the aspect ratio changed. It's that suddenly they made it look like the aspect ratio changed, where suddenly there were little black bars on the top and the bottom. Hmm. And that actually really improved the 3D because they were able to show the fish jumping out over that little black bar at the bottom. So it made it look like it was actually coming out of off the screen. That's interesting. No, that wasn't in the... I don't think I remember that in the 2D version, or at least it didn't stick out as much. Okay, because that scene, the 3D in that scene was absolutely incredible, and I think that might be why. It, It just looked really really good and i was just sitting there thinking to myself i just want to reach out and catch 
the fish. Why aren't why isn't Pie just reaching out and catching fish yeah. to eat? But you're clearly just coming at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of color, like Ang Lee, who has a really good use, of, knows how to really use it to his advantage for storytelling and stuff like that. Like you really feel like I think even in Brokeback Mountain, like if it just rained. It looks like it just rained. Like he, the, everything looks fresh. It's very green, very mm-hmm. leafy. When it's dry or it's cold, things are desaturated. At the end, when uh, Richard Parker just takes off on his own, everything is like desaturated. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, the tiger, yeah, he's all you know tired or whatnot and worn down. But there's actually like gray in there, and like even yeah. in the trees and stuff like that. So I think he he just knows how to very how to use that in a. Um, that also goes to that, his use of just the color black. Like, again, right. when that, that scene where it's just the boat in the sea of blackness, it's incredible to see that, especially on the big screen where it's just a little little sad boat in the middle of the screen. Right, and then there's another scene exactly like that in the daytime where it's just the boat in what appears to just be, it doesn't even look like water, it just looks like this painting. Yeah, and, and these yeah. And reflections. That's that's the one I'm talking about. But even in the night scene where it's all the jellyfish and stuff like that, the night only extends so far. And then there's stars up above and then there's the jellyfish below. And it's very, very mesmerizing. And it just looks like that part of the world goes on for days. <laughs> you mentioned Richard Parker and the scene in which Richard Parker leaves at the end. Yeah. How did you interpret that, the ending to that story or that quote unquote version of the story because if if we're reading it as allegory and that the stuff with the tiger didn't actually happen actually the cook murdered his mother and then he murdered the cook and richard parker was that murderous thing inside him then it really just sort of becomes a story about a guy all alone on the ocean battling himself and his inner demons and then he makes it he survives and ultimately there is no big revelation or big scene where he conquers the tiger yeah. that that side of him just leaves Leave. and it, it it's done and i think if you think that the version in which the cook killed his mother is what actually happened i think that's a more poignant ending for the for the quote-unquote tiger for that side of him yeah but i don't know what was your take on that i mean because i bought it at face value <laughs> God, yeah. I feel I feel so unsophisticated right now. Were, were um, you upset at Richard Parker? Were you like, man, Tiger, you just survived? No, because you know my mother had that talk that his dad has. Like animals are animals; they will eat you. You stay. You don't play with them. Like wild animals are wild animals. You know, I grew up in Florida. There's gators. Don't mess around. You know, at the zoo, we, you know, you'd point at the wolves and stuff like that. And the, yes, the tiger and be like, oh, my gosh, you could have one as a pet. And oh, my gosh, no, you shouldn't <laughs> ever. Okay, because, because they do show scenes in which Pi is training Richard Parker and trying to control him. And it's sort of implied that they, they reach this level of mutual respect and they're willing to at least recognize each other's authority and space. But then at the end, Richard Parker just kind of seems to be like, ah, oh, we made it to land. See ya. And there's Three no words. acknowledgement that, yeah. Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> wow, you went there. Okay, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I guess you animals could argue are that- animals. That's the th- like, uh, he's probably saw food. 
bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you would say that even though they were they reached a level of mutual respect, it wasn't like Richard Parker was somehow tamed or that they were somehow friends now. That's just a kind of romantic personification of things. I mean, it happens every time there's a tragedy about a wild animal that lashes out at its owner or lashes out on its owner's friend or whatnot. And they're like, I don't understand. Like, you know, you put so much emotional investment in, in like pets and stuff like that. And it happens with dogs a lot of the times. And then one day the wrong thing happens or whatever, and this dog will lash out. And then they're like, I don't understand. Well, it happens to have teeth and is a carnivore, so oops. Okay. So now <laughs> so now let's tie that back to this whole religion thing. Is that is this novel in the film trying to imply that that's another way in which we as human beings try to understand the world. We embellish reality and we we want to believe that animals are friends. We want to believe that God exists and that these miraculous spiritual things happen but actually that's not the case it could also be seen as our attempt to domesticate nature that we want to be so in control of god's creation that it's just not possible okay so in that interpretation our efforts to domesticate nature are as misguided as our attempts to what deny god or impose god on a situation. Could be to impose ourselves as God because we are the ones doing the domesticating. Okay, that's interesting because now we're getting into all these different ways of how we can <laughs> interpret this little allegory. <laughs> it's interesting how you could point to that idea of domesticating animals and say, well, that's just another example of how we want to believe things about life that aren't true. For example, religion. Or you could look at it and say, well, that's an example of how we want to control things and put explanations on things that can't be explained, which in which case that would support the existence of God and, and whatnot. So perhaps this Life of Pi story is actually deeper than I previously thought. Maybe Jan Martel's actually onto something. Clearly now he needs to do a sequel because uh, it's not an actual movie until it's a trilogy. <laughs> Okay, so let me ask you this. At the end of the day, what would you say the point of Life of Pi is? Is there a point? Or is it just kind of like, there is no point, it's all ambiguous? No, I think it's supposed to make you think. I think it is supposed... So, I found it very interesting at the very beginning that he becomes a sort of, like, mini-theologian as a child. I found it very fascinating that at the very end, the last element that they introduce you to is doubt. Because I was actually wondering throughout the whole film, when is he just going to throw his hands up and ask, why have you forsaken me? And right. he never does. <laughs> and right. I was kind of frustrated because I would have probably done that two hours in. Um, right. Well, it's interesting because there's that scene where his father tells him, you know, you can't believe in everything. If you believe in everything, then actually you believe in nothing. You yeah. have to choose what you believe. And his father says, personally, I would hope that you choose reason and rationality. So the, the, the ending of the film is basically forcing the audience to, to choose. What do you believe? Oh, no, because reason and rationality would say that humans killed each other 
Damn right. you, Andrew. No, you're not taking the tiger <laughs> away from me. Well, that, that's why I'm saying I think in, in personally, I think that that whole the ambiguous nature of the ending, I think that worked much better in the book than it did in the film. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but maybe just because uh, now you're thinking about it and you're talking with me. <laughs> maybe now ideas are getting thrown around and it's just it's getting messy. Okay, so I guess what I'm what I'm asking is, do you think this religious allegory and 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 this this thing that Life of Pi is trying to do during the ending and and making the audience choose what they believe, do you think that that is actually profound and relevant, or did it come across to you as kind of shallow and superficial and cliche? Oh, those are two extremes. Um, because again, for the longest, I guess what I'm asking is, did the ending work for you? The ending worked for me. I wish she didn't have to... Okay, so my only thing is I wish she didn't have to explain each of the roles because I was like, oh no, the orangutan was his mom and then the two other people are two randos, basically. Then he actually, you know, went and assigned them all and it was like, well, that kind of took the fun away. I thought I was smart on figuring this out. But I guess my issue with it, the whole, I guess the whole religion thing, was throughout the whole film, he never had that doubt. Where doubt, I think, is a very important part of the spiritual process. It's a part of the growth. You just have to question everything that comes into play that challenges, I guess, the sort of basic belief that you've been handed down either by your parents or your teachers. And I don't know why he was exempt from that. Maybe he struggles with it better in the book and that just wasn't translated onto film. A doubt is hard to put up on there. But right. I don't know, maybe that was just me wanting to see a, a more complex sort of depiction of r faith and religion. That's a good point. The ending, like I said, at first it didn't work for me as well as it had in the book, but now that I'm talking with you and we're actually diving into it, I'm thinking, okay, maybe maybe there is more to it. I think at the end of the day, maybe what the film is trying to point out is that there can be, quote-unquote, truth without facts that there are some things that are existentially true even if they're not factual which is an attitude i would personally tend to agree with in in certain respects so i'm sympathetic to that worldview i'm not sure if the film portrays that in the most convincing and persuasive way but as we've just shown, it does provide inspiration for discussion. So I think that is something. So overall, I think I am more in favor with the ending of the film than I am against it. Yeah. It, it certainly, I think, will give people a lot to talk about. So that's good. That's always good when a movie leaves you wanting to talk about stuff. Yeah, where it's not, like, just easily forgotten. Right, right. All right, is there anything else you want to say about Life of Pi before we wrap up this episode? No, I think that's enough, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You're tired. You need to go rethink your life and everything you believe. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Life of Pi here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Killing Them Softly, the new film from Andrew Dominic starring Brad Pitt. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. 
You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Let's Get Real and The Thin Place and our new show all about the ABC series Last Resort, Dispatches from St. Marina. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online at the Twitters at mcastingmovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can find me at the Bofka website, B-O-F-C-A dot com. And find me at Bitch, Pace Magazine, Dig Boston, and The Phoenix. All right. I am Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Cinema Fix. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and figuring out whether you believe in God. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!